The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Tomorrow morning, bright and early, uh, there is a team of youth heading to Mexico, to Tijuana, to do uh, mission work there. We need to be at the airport at 4.30. You can pray for the parents, please. Uh, but we're looking forward to everything that we're going to hear that God does in them and, and through them while, while they're away. And so they're coming up right now, and uh, Kevin's going to share just for a moment about what it is that they're doing, and then I'd like to have us pray for them. Yeah, so tomorrow morning, 6.30, we're heading out on a plane. This trip is uh, in collaboration with uh, churches in Alberta who are in our same conference. Uh, so this trip and this ministry has been going on uh, from Alberta to Tijuana, Mexico for years now, over a decade. So what we're doing as the six of us, we are going into an already established ministry a trip that's been going on, and so we get to take part in that and see what is happening with local churches in Tijuana. So when we get there, uh, we're going to be having a, we're actually staying in a YWAM compound that's just south of the city of Tijuana, and we get to train, we get to worship with other Christians from Alberta and from uh, the locals there, and we are going to start being trained in how to present the gospel uh, through this next few weeks. We're going for 12 days, so we'll be back on the August 23rd, and we're going to be taking part in helping out and building homes in, in Tijuana, so we, our team's going to be, again, uh, collaborating with another group from a, one of the churches in Alberta, and we're going to be building a home uh, for a local family there. But what also is going to be able to happen is other locals in the area, kids, uh, they, they love to come out and see what's going on, so we're going to have a lot of opportunity to hang out with the local kids there. Uh, so that's going to be amazing as we worship together, as we train, as we lead together. Uh, we'll also be uh, ministry the hands and feet of Jesus. And so that's what we believe that we're going to see. Uh, we're praying about that this morning, uh, how we're just looking forward to that. All th uh, these five here have been a part of ministry already through this whole summer in some capacity with our church or with camps. And so this is kind of a trip that's taken outside, uh, taken us out outside of Canada and dropping us to a place that we've never been. So uh, we're really looking forward to that. Yeah. Let me pray for you guys. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your blessing in allowing us to have opportunity to be part of what you are doing in your kingdom. And we recognize that, that with this group going to Mexico, that uh, you have plans for them to do things through them for your kingdom and also in them for your kingdom. And I pray that you would richly bless them in both of those ways. We ask for your, your guidance in wisdom as they, as they make decisions in the trip. We ask for safety as they travel. We ask uh, for impact on the world around them and the people that they meet, that they would see you through these people. And I, and I also ask that you would, you would impact them deeply in their hearts uh, as you are growing kids in our church family, uh, in, your, in your image. Thank you, Lord, for, for all of this, and I pray that in every circumstance, the things that are new and exciting and the things that are sometimes new and scary, that your presence, you would make your presence known in these kids' hearts. So in that way, come, when they come back, that they can go into all these other kinds of circumstances that are in their lives, the pressures that happen in, in life and in school and in all those places, that they could go in with a deeper sense that they know that you are working in them and through them because they've seen it. And I pray that you'd bless them with that. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. For all people and your heart for all nations. 
Uh, I hope that you guys have been enjoying your summer. I have a goal that every summer I want to do something that makes the summer stick out for me. Uh, otherwise, they kind of just all blend together. So uh, this year at the beginning of January, I was blessed to hop on my motorcycle and go to Kelowna, visit some friends, had a really nice motorcycle ride. And uh, last week or the week before, we were in Garden Hill, and that will definitely be one of the, the highlights of this year for me, and we'll tell you more about that next week. Uh, but another privilege I had was to go down to Denver uh, Seminary. That's where I graduated from, and I audit classes there now in the summer. And every time I go down, I, I go to class early so that I can walk along the trails behind the school, behind the campus. There's the South Platte River. It's a beautiful river. It's kind of like a lazy river. And throughout the summer, it's like 39, 40-some degrees in, in Denver. And often you'll see people on their inner tubes just kind of going down this lazy river. And it's really fun. Uh, and some parts of it aren't even all that lazy. And so uh, about two years ago, I think that was the first time in 2017, a friend and, uh, friend and I, we bought some inner tubes and we just went uh, rafting or tubing down the river. It was a blast. The next summer I brought the tubes, but the river was so low you couldn't go on it. There was too many rocks. And this year when I came, the river was high again, it was vibrant, and I realized I forgot my inner tubes. And so in God's kindness, he kind of just brings my mind to him and says, Doug, in what way does this reflect our life together? I thought, well, Lord, sometimes I am just so ready for life with you. I can't wait to be in the joy of your spirit and allowing you to lead me, guide me, and to have the exhilaration of not even knowing what comes next, but knowing that you're guiding. That's sometimes how it's like. Matt and Lord, sometimes life is dry. Sometimes it feels like the river is just bone dry and there's lots of rocks and it's just an obstacle to get through. And, and I know sometimes that's because I hinder you, Lord. And other times it's because of in your wisdom I need to go through a season where that's just what I experience. And then other times it's vibrant again, but I just haven't been prepared for it. And Lord, I'm so thankful that every time you make me aware of the life I can have in you, the invitation is to step right in. I don't have to wait for any supplies. I don't have to wait for anything except say, yes, Lord. And when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, a lot of that has to do with the filling of the Spirit. As Christians, when we accept the Lord, we have all of the Holy Spirit. He comes in and he, he abides in us. He lives in us. But the Bible does remind us that continually we need to seek to be filled by His Spirit. And I need to be reminded that the only thing that keeps that from happening is I sometimes choose to hinder God. Maybe it's intentional, maybe it's not intentional. And God says to me, Doug, what are the ways that you're hindering me and how can you open up to me so that my spirit can flow through you and the fruit of the spirit can be evident? And again, it's the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. They're not different fruits. It's one aspect. It's the quality of the essence of God. And so today we're going to be focusing on the goodness of God. And I have three questions that I just want to share with you that help me to think about, am I allowing God to flow freely through me, or is there an aspect of my walk with God where I'm hindering Him? So three questions that revolve around goodness. And, and the first question seems very simple, but it's hugely important. Is God good? Do I truly believe that? And, and I can tell you, if you've spent any time in the Bible, and if you read through this book, 
you will see again and again and again that God wants people to know that he is good. That's the essence of our God. There is no evil in him. There's nothing bad about him. He is completely good. That's why it's good news to share not just about Christ dying on the cross. Every single thing about God is good. The Bible says that we should experience the goodness of God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It's an invitation not just to, to know something intellectually, but to experience the goodness of God. And I love the way that the message translates the next verse where it just says, Worship God if you want the best. He opens the doors. Worship opens the doors to all his goodness. If we're going through a season of dryness, the invitation of God to us is just focus on worshiping me. Worship me and the doors of goodness will open up. So the essence of God is goodness. And the expression of God is goodness as well. We see in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above. There is nothing that exists that is good that God did not create for the blessing of others so that we might come to know him. Last week, Kevin talked about kindness. The Bible says that God reigns his kindness on everybody so that they might know that he exists and wants relationship with us. God is good in his essence. God is good in his expression. And yet, I have to admit that when I read through this book for the first time from Genesis to Revelation, I remember thinking, wow, I've learned a lot of wonderful things about God that I'm so happy, but there's some things in here I'm not too comfortable with. Lord, I'm not sure how good you are when I read about some of these circumstances, especially in the Old Testament. Some of them just make me cringe, and I wonder, how do I wrap my mind around a good God allowing things like that to happen or telling things like that to happen? I once took a class, and I was so thankful. There were two books that uh, I read that were very helpful to me, and one of them was called The Skeletons in God's Closet, The Mercy of Hell, The Surprise of Judgment, The Hope of Holy War. Another book was called God Behaving Badly. Is God in the Old Testament Angry, Sexist, and a Racist? Okay, so you know what? These book titles don't sound all that inviting, but wow, is it good to look at things that I struggle with where I question, God, are you really good? Because when I question the goodness of God, you know what happens? The Holy Spirit is hindered. That river starts to dry because in that way, I'm just saying, Lord, I don't really want to know that part about you. Let me focus on this psalm. Let me focus on this verse, but I don't want to think about the stuff that makes me question you. It's like, I don't want to know that part of you, God. And the beautiful thing is that when we delve into those things, we realize that God is never evil. God is never bad. I've misunderstood something in that text. God is good. So I, I just want to encourage you that if there's parts of your life, and I'm sure there are, where you question the goodness of God, ask God to help you understand him more. And dig into those passages so that you're, you don't think that God has something to hide. That you don't have fear that if you're talking with a friend and all of a sudden your friend says, yeah, but what about this? That you'd have to say, yeah, I'm really not sure about that either myself. And, and I am honest with my friends. There's lots of things in Scripture that we won't understand. But what I am completely convinced of is that God is good. 
And that needs to happen in our life for the Spirit to move freely. And, and that goodness is kind of comes from when I read Scripture, God is good. But what about in, in personal life? Here's the question. Is God good to me? And in all the areas of my life, this would probably be the one that has stretched me most, wondering, is God good to me? Of course he's good in the big sense, going to heaven and love the nations, but what about me? And the Bible is so wonderfully transparent that God knows we struggle with those kind of thoughts. We think of the people going through the wilderness for 40 years and wondering about the goodness of God. The first book in the Bible that we think was written was Job. And think about Job and what he struggled with as God allowed Satan to take everything around away from Job just to prove that Job was a righteous man who worshipped God just because God is God, not for anything he received. But the struggle he went through is he was just wondering, God, what are you doing? My children die. All my stuff is gone. I'm sick. God, what's happening? And then think about when the disciples are, are going across the sea with Jesus. If you remember the story, it's in Mark, it's in Luke. They're crossing the Sea of Galilee in the boat, and a storm comes, and the water is starting to swamp the boat. And it tells us that Jesus is sleeping on a cushion at the front of the boat, and the disciples are distraught. They don't know what to do. And finally, they go to Jesus and they, they, they wake him up and they say, Jesus, Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus wakes up and he calms the storm and then he looks at them and he goes, oh, you of little faith. Do you not trust me yet? See, the issue wasn't that they went to Jesus for help. It's in the question, don't you care? Don't you care about me? Don't you care about us? And Jesus says, Oh, you of little faith, don't you trust me? Trust that I'm good, that I love you, that I care for you. A passage that has kind of been, if I have to say, life verses, a passage that helped me through a, a dark season of life, and I've told you this before, is in, in Mark or in Matthew, and it, and it talks about the, Jesus saying to, his, to the people around him, So, if a child asks you for bread, you wouldn't give him a stone. Or if you ask him for fish, you wouldn't give him a snake. And if you who are evil know how to give such good gifts, don't you believe that your heavenly Father can give even better? Luke says, don't you believe that your heavenly Father can give you the Holy Spirit? I don't know about you, but I know for myself, there's times where I really question, Lord, what are you doing? And God wants us to never shy away from sharing those thoughts with him. Don't just shove it away and say, no, but God's good. He's good. I'll just get past it. Bring those things to him. And, and, and struggle with God to say, Lord, I really don't know if you're good. I, I can't see it right now. I trust that you are, but I just, I'm not living in it now. Again, my prayer was, Lord, I know that you say if I ask for a bread, you won't give me a stone. Or if I ask for a fish, you won't give me a snake. But that's exactly what it feels like you've done. I feel shafted by you, God. And in those dark moments when God allows you to struggle with him, I can tell you this. You may be in darkness for a while. Elf was, uh, we, they were sharing about Elf yesterday, and, and sometimes when people were in, in, in trials, 
Twice the story was told where Elf came to them and said, it's going to hurt for a long time, but you're going to get through it. Can I tell you that's the same way in your relationship with God? You can choose not to go there and just distract yourself, just sing some praise songs, but if there's anything in your life where you question the goodness of God, allow God to take you in there, into that hard reality, so that in time He can give you peace that passes understanding. And know that it doesn't happen overnight. I don't know how long it will take, but I do know that if you're faithful and you trust God, He will take you through that. And in time, you will understand the goodness of God to a depth that you didn't before. So part of the problem on this passage is people, myself included, sometimes think that maybe my goodness surpasses God's. That's what this passage was saying. Do you who are evil think that you can give good gifts to your children and I'll give bad ones? And so one of the questions that we need to consider is, am I good? There's another question. Am I good? So I wonder how most of the world would answer this question. I just read an article from CNN back in December. It was written December 2008. And the article was said, breaking news, people are inherently good. People are inherently good. People are hardwired for goodness. And the example they gave was children. And the the phrase that, that stuck out to me was, without mitigating factors... Their innate goodness, the children's innate goodness, would not dissipate with age if it wasn't for outside influences. You know, so close to truth as far as the fact that God created everything to be good. Everything in creation, original design, good, good, good. Men and women all have the imprint of God on their lives, which is good. But what they don't know or what they don't acknowledge is that the Bible says that sin has tarnished everything and we all fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 5.8 tells us, but God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It doesn't mean that people don't do good things. I think people innately know that God's given them a conscience. It doesn't work perfectly, but there are things that, yeah, we're wired, that we, we really do want to do good, but sin has us do evil, and we're stuck in that. And the Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, part of what we need to realize is that we are all tarnished by sin. We are all lost in sin until we meet Christ. And when we meet Christ, He does a transformative work in us and it doesn't take sin out of us, but it, kill, it, it, it we have new life in Christ. We are new creations. And the Bible says that in Christ, we are good. It doesn't say that we're not going to have sin. It says if you say that you don't have sin, you lie to yourselves. But in Christ, from his perspective, we are good. Hear these words as I read from Matthew 12, 33 to 35. Either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, he's talking to the Pharisees, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. A good person produces good things from his storeroom of good, and an evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. So, 
one of the things that we need to acknowledge is that as Christians, we don't have the excuse anymore to just say, I'm only human. Isn't that what humans do? Sin? As God, and this is one thing for us to remember too, when God created humans, there was no sin. When we are recreated after we die and Christ comes again, there will be no sin in humans. Being human itself isn't the reason we sin. We sin because we were sinful. We were sinners. And Christ died for sinners so that we might become righteous in him. And from God's perspective, when he looks at us, he sees the life of his son. And to the extent that we live in the life of his son, we are righteous and we are good. And we need to remember that as we live day to day so that we don't give ourselves a little excuse, well, I sin because I'm a sinner. We say, no, I do good because I live in the goodness of God by his grace, and I'm thankful for that. So again, please hear, as Christians, we always will struggle with sin this side of heaven, but that is not our identity any longer. Our identity is as children of God, and this is why. The Bible says that we are in a covenant relationship with God. And the moment we give our lives to Christ, we become the part of the bride of Christ. You and I alone aren't the bride. Together, we are the bride of Christ. The Bible says that God is the one who has always pursued us, and we are the ones who respond to him. He's the one who makes us in his image, in his likeness, and we have eternal life with him because of what Christ did. Do you know that the predominant word throughout Scripture to identify our faith as Christians is saint. God looks at you and he sees a saint. And if that causes any pride in you, then we don't understand that word at all. It actually causes us to be very humble. God says that you are saints in Christ. So that should help us remember how we're meant to live. But the problem is, as Paul so clearly said, I do not understand what I do for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. He says, I, I, what I really want is to live in the life of Christ, but I don't tend to do that most of the time. And there's this battle in me, wretched man that I am. Oh, help, this, this guy here saying, help, I'm being torn apart by conflicting desires. What we need to remember, though, is that your desires don't dictate who you are. They're, they don't form your identity. And we need to just be honest with God to say, Lord, I don't always desire you. You need to change my desires so that I'm living in step with your spirit. I surrender to you. I need to live in the transformative work that you said is done in me. I want life in you deeper. For me, this would be a very simple... Uh, actually, I wanted to share this verse with you. Romans seven fifteen to 17 but now it is no longer the real me doing it. It's no longer the real me sinning, but it's the sin housed within me. This is what Paul is saying. We all have sin that causes us to do evil. We have to take responsibility of that. I have to confess that. But that is not the real you. You are, are hidden in Christ. When that's happening, that's sin working out of you, but that's not your identity anymore. For me, it hit home with, with uh, again, finding out I have cancer. It's in my throat, my abdomen, my groin, my bone marrow. But I don't identify with my cancer. That's not my identity. That's something foreign that's in me that's destroying this body, but that's not me. 
And that's how sin is. Sin is still working in the members of my body and my thought life, but that is not me by the grace of God. And that is not you by the grace of God. You have been transformed. You are a new person in Christ. Christ says that you are a saint, and we should live in his power to live that way. So the last question I just want to address here is, why does goodness matter? The Bible says that we are Christ's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which which God prepared that we should walk in them. And he prepared that for us before the worlds were made. One of the reasons why goodness matters is we were created to live in goodness and to express that goodness. Today's scripture reading comes from Romans 12. I just want you to open up your Bibles and stand with me, and we'll take time to read this passage. And I think this will answer a good part of why goodness matters. Romans 12, and we'll start, I'll start reading in verse 14 to 21. <clears throat> bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. And this is the key for today. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Please be seated. Is that not a significant reason for why goodness matters? That the only way that evil can be overcome is by good. And what I'd ask for you this coming week is just to read Romans 14 a few times and hear all the things in there that help us understand what a life with Christ looks like. But the first that I really want to highlight for you is this. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Usually when we talk about this verse, it's in the context of doing that with Christians because we're connected with each other and we're family. But if you read this passage, the context of it is how do you treat your enemies? How are you supposed to treat your enemies? You're supposed to, we are supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So I'm going to ask you this week, Think about one or two people that in your mind you just really struggle with and you're not sure how to express the love of God to. You, you, you experience evil maybe from these people and you're wondering, how can I live good? And ask, how can you sincerely rejoice with this person? It's not fake, but it's sincere. Well, maybe you hear that something good happened to one of their children. Maybe they're celebrating an anniversary or a birthday. Whatever good occasion comes, go alongside them and just celebrate with them. And if you hear that something hard has happened for them, maybe they found out they're sick, they've lost a job, maybe someone's died, maybe maybe they're just struggling in relationship, go alongside and be sincere with them. Can Can you ask God for that sort of compassion to say, I can come alongside this person who's been an enemy to me, and I can sincerely do this because I do care, because I know God cares for them. 
Just one little illustration here. A long time ago, I had a neighbor, and the first time I met him, he found out I was a pastor, and he right away told me he was an atheist. And right away, there was this kind of, <clears throat> kind of coldness towards me. And in time, uh, we found out that we had a similar interest playing racquetball. And after a few times playing racquetball, one time, in the middle of the game, he, as we're kind of waiting between uh, serving, he, he just starts telling me about how much uh, hardship he has at work. He's just stressed out. He's doing his thesis work and everything's falling apart. He's a guy who thought he was always in control of everything, and now he realizes he has no control and he's completely stressed. And I looked at him and I said, I, I know that we don't have the same point of view in life, but from my point of view, there's a God who loves you and cares for you. And if you're willing, I'd love to pray for you just for God to give you wisdom for next steps. And I was sure that I was going to just get blown out of the water. And he goes, yeah, okay, you can pray for me. And I said, is it okay if I pray for you right now? And there's a little bit of a conversation, but I just put my hand on his shoulder and I prayed for him. And on the way home, because we walked back and forth to U of M to play, he started asking me questions about God. And I started talking about the beautiful reality of the sovereignty of God, that he's the one in control and that we are not. And uh, so you never know how a conversation may go with someone that you have hardship with. And one thing I need to confess to you, sometimes when I think about people that I struggle with, and you have those phantom conversations in your mind, sometimes what God does to me very lovingly is say, Doug, I want you to remember one thing. You're thinking of this person right now as an enemy, and they are your brother or they are your sister in Christ. Stop thinking that way. You are united together in me. Don't ever put them in that category. Okay, Lord, thank you. Still help me in that situation. But that's right, they're definitely not my enemy. As we just uh, are going to celebrate the, the baptism of Tim, I just want to share this last verse, Matthew 5, 16. Let your light uh, so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's partly what baptism is. This is an expression of this is what God's done. I want you to be able to see. But the key word here that I want to say is let. Let your light shine. It's not make your light shine. It's not your self-effort that makes goodness. It's just saying don't hinder God in you. You are a light on a hill. Let it shine. If you light a candle in a house, you wouldn't cover it up. The Bible is not trying to say do good, make good happen. It's saying let good happen. Receive from God and share with others. So my encouragement for you today as we think about the goodness of God is just to say, Lord, is there anything right now that you know I'm hindering you with that I'm either not aware of or that I'm holding on to and help me to surrender it to you. Help me to become a vessel that you can move through freely in the precious name of Christ. I'm going to invite Tim and uh, Kevin to come up and we'll celebrate the wonderful symbolism of baptism that new life has been given and the fruit of the Spirit is part of the joy of that new life. You guys, before we go, let's pray together. Father, our, our cup overflows today because of your goodness. As we think about weddings and we think about ministry on the other side of the world, as we think about baptism and what that symbolizes, we recognize again and again and again how good you are to us and you are filling up our cup with goodness. And I pray that during this week you would continue to guide our thoughts to how it is that you've been doing that in each of our lives. 
that your goodness has, has been faithful and consistent. And I pray, Lord, that out of this full cup, this overflowing cup, that those around us would more and more see your goodness in how we are sharing your goodness by the fruit that you are growing in us. Bless each one of us as we go from here. May you be glorified by the events of this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful day.